When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on the Chronicle NUFC Facebook page, YouTube and Twitter account and later on our podcast channel. I'm Andrew Musgrove joined by Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. And first off, just want to say a big thank you to Sam Mulner from Newcastle Fans TV for filling in on hosting duties last week while me and Aaron were away again. Not together, we always seem to be off um, at the same time. I was in sunny Spain, Aaron was down in Leeds, um, but we are back, and it seems a bit like a, a bit of deja vu, Aaron, because the last episode um, that we did together, we were talking about the decision, um, we were talking about VAR against Manchester, um, so, or rather we were talking about the referees and their performances, and, and yet again, the performance of referees and VAR this, this weekend is just grabbing the headlines, and it, it, it's, it's a shame in one way. That we were once again having to go on a massive run because we both said we don't like slating referees, we don't like slating VAR because it's a difficult job. But the performance of, of VAR for Newcastle uh, in the Palace game was shocking. But it's not just Newcastle, it's across the board. I think that's the first thing I'm going to say. I don't believe there's a conspiracy theory um, against a conspiracy against Newcastle. It's across the board. We've seen this weekend some shocking decisions. But uh, up there, probably. The most shocking decision is the disallowed Joe Willick goal. Pushed in the back, Clyde's with a goalkeeper. At the very, very least, it's a penalty to Newcastle United. Uh, it should be a, a goal, in my opinion. I can't work out, even if the uh, the referee hasn't seen the angle we've all seen on match of the day, you can clearly see from any angle Willick's been pushed by the fullback. Just sum up your feelings um, in that moment as well, because, you know, everyone was celebrating and then got a little bit concerned for Willick, who was lying on the ground. And then there was a bit of confusion. Some sections of St. James's Park thought the goal had been awarded, but um, obviously it turned out not to be. Some of your feelings in that moment, and now you've had a few days to reflect on it. I mean, in the moment, it was it was relief at first. I thought it was going to be one of those days when Newcastle just had mountains of chances and just couldn't fit, uh, find the back of the net. So... At first, it was relief. Then it was obviously concern for Willick. We thought that there might have been um, a problem with him and Gator from the, the challenge. But when the referee, Michael Salisbury, has gone over to the monitor, and we've obviously seen the replays on our little tiny monitors in the, in the press box, I turned to Lee Ryder and said, oh, well, there's a push there. There's, there's no way that's going to be um, overturned. And as you say, then obviously some sections of St. James's Park thought that it was a goal at Newcastle, including myself. Just a very, very confusing couple of minutes. I think the anger didn't really come until afterwards when you see the proper replays and you see, you know, what it's actually cost you, Cass United, because it's an absolutely scandalous decision. Um, I'm all for VAR. I think it's brilliant. It, it needs to be used, but the people that are using it just aren't using it right. And um, I think Saturday, both at St. James's and at Stamford Bridge, um, was the absolute perfect example of that. Yeah, I mean, that Stamford Bridge one, I only watched it yesterday. But I was just absolutely gobsmacked at how any referee, any person sitting watching those screens can tell a referee to go to the monitor. And then for the referee to overturn it as well was just absolutely baffling. I mean, yeah, it, there are no words to describe that decision. And then the one at Newcastle, the one at James Park, like I say, even worse. Because, it, I mean, what what is the, the, the video assistant referee actually watching to suggest that Willick's done anything wrong because you can clearly see the momentum that Willick's been been shoved and he's gone into the goalkeeper and you can see the look on, on, on the defender's face as well. He knows he's done wrong. He knows he's either scored an own goal or he's conceded a penalty. And I just don't understand. You know, it, it's one thing the video assistant referee telling the referee to go to the monitor but then it's another thing for that actual referee, Michael Salisbury, in this instance, to look at that replay and overturn the decision. 
I think, you know, there's, there's two really worrying elements there. You know, what is the referee doing on the pitch? You know, what, what is he actually seeing to overturn that decision? Well, this, this is this is the thing, and I think this is what referees on the pitch need to start doing more. And it did happen in one Premier League game the other day, and I can't remember which one it was, but referees need to start sticking to their decisions. Michael Salisbury saw nothing wrong with that real-time. Um, Jared Gillett saw nothing wrong with West Ham's equaliser in real-time. There wasn't even appeals from Palace. There wasn't even many appeals from Chelsea to get those goals overturned. It feels like VAR is just now stepping over the mark in terms of what they need to actually, you know, the impact they need to have on the game. Now, John Gandhi and, and has made a good point in this live chat, and Shearer made it a match of the day. Michael Salisbury, he's had six Premier League games as a referee, usually refs in the Championship, um, and I actually thought he had a good game before that on Saturday. Um, but he's I'm going I'm I'm to disagree with you there. I, I, actually, I thought he'd been, I thought he'd been pretty poor. Really? But even before then, I thought he was... He was he was given you know fouls for which weren't even fouls. I mean, it was both you know it was for both sides. I thought he was just he was just not on the ball at all. And I know it's a big he, arena, so he's inexperienced. I, 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 I think if if that Willick incident hadn't happened or the goal had been allowed or it didn't happen full stop, I don't think we would be sat here talking about how bad the referee was. I didn't think it was a noticeably bad performance. But the point I was trying to make is Michael Salisbury's gone up that monitor. He's refereed six Premier League games. As you say, it's a big arena. It's a big call. And he's going up against Lee Mason, who, like them or loathe them, has got a lot of Premier League games under his belt. He's very experienced. And is Michael Salisbury thinking, well, if Lee Mason's thinking there's something wrong with this, should I? No. Referees just need to start sticking to their guns, right? And I'm not sure if it's the case that Lee Mason or Salisbury haven't seen the replay that we've all seen, where he can clearly see Mitchell push Willick. But if he hasn't, that also needs to be addressed because I've literally only seen about five people say that that goal shouldn't have been allowed. Patrick Vieira, Salisbury, Lee Mason, and about two Crystal Palace fans. So something really does need to change with VR and the way that they're using it with referees on the pitch. 100%. And it's interesting that there's going to be a review essentially admitting that the Newcastle United call was wrong, the West, the, the decision against West Ham was wrong. And I've seen a lot of people today on social media asking, well, does that mean Newcastle, you know, maybe get two extra points? Does the game get replayed? I mean, that's not going to happen, but it's an interesting point because VAR was brought in to remove this worry that, you know, a decision could be so wrong you know, but it but it goes against the team, and that team misses out on Champions League football, misses out um, on survival in the Premier League. So it's going to be so interesting. You know, come the end of the season, if Newcastle are indeed two points off a you know a European place or, or, or what have you, then people will look back not just on this decision but other decisions uh, that we've had so far in the first few games of the season, and and certainly wonder what if. Um, but Danny Murphy, I felt, made an interesting point on match of the day about is it time to get ex-professionals to get involved in VAR? Obviously, you have the slight worry about bias, but then we've seen, I guess, in pundit-wise, you know, Gary Neville's always commentating when my United's playing, but I don't actually think he's that biased. I think, you know, I think I think professional footballers can can remove their bias when it comes to, to working um, once they've retired within the game. So it'd be quite interesting if um, indeed the the Premier League, uh, the Referees Association did look at maybe employing some ex-professionals to get involved and, and make these decisions because it's clear that the referees are making too many errors and really, you know, putting doubt into supporters' minds about the benefit of VAR. And that shouldn't happen. VAR is a good thing. It's not, VAR's not the issue. It's the people who are running it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, as long as I don't put Gabby Bonlehorn in any Newcastle matches, if that was the case, I think it would be all right. But um, yeah, look, I think I think Murphy made a good point. These players have played the game. They know the ins and outs. They know, you know, how fouls happen and stuff like that. Um, but look, it's clear something needs to change, whether that's ex-pros going in, whether it's more training, whether it's, 
something's got to happen because VAR has been implemented in most big leagues now and the only league that has a problem with it is England and that's clearly saying something about the standard of officiating in this country. Um, look, I, I don't know what the solution is, but it needs to change quickly because we've seen, you know, a couple of times this season, Newcastle have been hit with it. They were obviously hit with a Brighton, Callum Wilson's contentious goal. There were City, many people thought it was a penalty. And then obviously Saturday was the worst of the lot. But um, it does just seem like VR is, is just trying to overstep the mark of, of what it actually was brought in to do. Got uh, Gordon Thomas Burke here saying he still can't get over the decision. Only reason he, uh, he can see why they disallowed it was for the foul, but even then Willick was going for the ball and now he got whiplashed, pushed straight into the keeper. Absolute joke. Hopefully now there is this much uproar over it. Something will change. And again, going back to match the day, there was another interesting point made. You saw David Moyes absolutely fuming. You saw Jesse Marsh absolutely raging as well. Um, but then you saw Eddie Howe quite reserved. What did you make of his reaction? Because Alan Shearer and Danny Murphy felt he should have been a bit more animated. It'll be interesting to see if if Moyes and, and Marsh get punished for um, for what what they did, or how they responded to the to again scandalous decisions against their teams. But do you think Eddie Howe should have been a bit more vocal and a bit a bit louder in his protests? If I'm honest, I, I sort of disagreed with Shearer when I heard that on match of the day because. As someone who's sat in many Eddie Howe press conferences this season, I was fully expecting him to just say, look, it's happened, let's move on. But actually, to his credit, he did come out and say, fair enough, it, was, it wasn't too strong, but he did come out and say that it's a perfectly good goal chalked off. Um, he even sort of sort of accused the referee of changing his mind because of how long Victor Greta stayed on the ground, which, again, is very uncharacteristic for Howe to sort of put that blame on the ref and the players. So... Um, I didn't actually think that how needed to do much more. I think you know, you look at March's reaction, he's been sent off. You look at Moyes, he'll probably get in trouble with that. I think Eddie Howe's probably just stayed on the right side of the line to not get himself in trouble with what he said. Jamie makes an, an interesting point there. He says it's not Eddie's style, and that's you know, that's that's you know, it very, is. very true. And I mean, I was. I was baffled at that West Ham decision. The Leeds decision was even was up there as well. It was a bit like that um, that Murphy decision that went against Newcastle. Who was it? Was it against? I want to say Chelsea last season. I can't. Wait. He ran down the flank and he, he got. I'm sure it was against Chelsea and he got his shirt pulled in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it was Chelsea. It was Murphy. Yeah, and it was pretty much identical. And and again. <sighs> The video assistant referee is what? What on earth is he watching? Not to drag that leads, you know, that foul against that leads player back. I do not understand. Like, you can see it from the stands. You, we, we can see it watching match of the on the highlight. I, they've got enough time to slow it down to make the right decision, and it's just another case of them just getting it so so wrong. Yeah, I mean, th- this weekend has been an absolute disaster for the for the PGM well because I mean like you say it wasn't just Newcastle it was Leeds it was West Ham the goal line technology wasn't even working in one of the championship games which has cost the Huddersfield I think was a goal I mean even yesterday I was watching that Brighton Leicester game and they nearly nearly disallowed that wonder strike from McAllister which they eventually did they nearly disallowed it for Welbeck's high foot despite nobody on the pitch appealing for it so um, yeah look a disaster of a weekend for, for numerous teams. And I think hopefully this is the wake-up call that the you know the officials need to actually say, look, this isn't being implemented the way it was. Good to see Michael Oliver, though, as you've previously mentioned, sticking to his guns. He's a he's yeah, a definitely. he's a he's a good uh, a good referee and a, a local lad. So uh, good to see him maybe setting the example for for what's to come. John Robinson here on Facebook says he feels that the, the game needs to be more like rugby, separate timekeeper. All timekeeping responsibility needs to be removed from the referee. Uh, Hooter should go off at the end of the match. VAR and the ref need to be mic'd up. And VAR only checked after goals offsides. Just a check. And uh, VAR to make the final decision, not the on-field referee. So a lot of points there. I don't agree with everything John said. I do agree that the mics, uh, the referee should be mic'd up. We, we need to be hearing why these decisions are being made. Why the referee is going up the monitor. You know why he's not either agreeing with the, the, the video assistant referee or, or what have you. We need to hear 
you know, both the, the video assistant referee and the referee on the pitch because that is crucial. Um, even when they get the decisions right, we need to be understanding 100% what they've done, what they've seen. Um, and, you know, obviously timekeeping has been a big talking point. Uh, recently, it was it was rather ironic. I thought that uh, a lot of frustration was handed down to the Crystal Palace players on on Saturday after what Newcastle uh, um, suffered against Liverpool a few days earlier. Uh, what did you make of John's uh, suggestions there about improving improving the game? I would like to see refs mic'd up. I think, as you've said, it's worked in rugby. It's, I mean, even funnily enough, Jared Gillett, who was the ref against City, there's a clip that went viral of him a couple of years ago of him being mic'd up in the Australian League. Um, a really, really good insight as to sort of what he says to the players, what he says to the coaches when he speaks to them. And obviously it would be good to hear what on earth Lee Mason was saying to, to Salisbury on Saturday. I don't want to put too much pressure on the officials, but I also think when decisions like that are made, the ref or Lee Mason needs to be coming out publicly and saying what on earth they're thinking was. Because as we said, David Moyes is probably going to get fined for what he said on Saturday. But there's absolutely no accountability on Lee Mason to say, you know, why he made that decision. There's no accountability for the officials when these make these wrong calls. So I think that's maybe something that could change. I think there needs to be more openness as to why these things happen. They can't just be shoved under the rug and, you know, can't just move on from what happened Saturday without there being big changes. Because, as you said earlier, when these things start to mount up, I, I, I don't believe that these things, you know, cancel each other out across the season. And if they do, Newcastle are due a hell of a lot of luck in the next sort of six months. But um, as you said, you know, these things do start to add up. And when it comes down to, you know, you're fighting for European places and every point matters, um, you know, it's crucial that it isn't a sort of prolonged thing that keeps happening week in, week out. Yeah, I mean, how do they solve this? Is is there any defence... To any of the referees that had a had a had a bad day over the weekend, any of the video assistant referees, is there any defence that you think you could offer and say, you know, everyone makes mistakes? But I guess when you've got how many were we talking? At least four pathetic decisions, really. You know, when does it stop becoming a mistake and just becomes, you know, a lack of uh, you know ability to do the job properly? It, it's not it, obviously this weekend was a, was a as we've said was a disaster because there was so many instances in such a short space. But there's every every week now there's one or two calls that VAR get wrong. VAR was brought in for offsides and clear and obvious errors. You cannot tell me that Jared Gillett made an obvious error not uh, disallowing that West Ham goal. You cannot tell me Michael Salisbury made an obvious error not disallowing that will uh, disallowing that will goal. So. Strip VAR back to what it was meant to do. It's perfect for offsides. I know there'll be some talk as to whether there needs to be more wiggle room, but it does the job on offsides and it needs to do the job again. When a ref has missed a red card or he's given a yellow for a red, that is what it needs to be brought in to do. Not analysing every goal and every chance and every foul to the nth degree and and you know changing games that, that don't need to be changed. Because it undermines... The referee that's on the pitch, isn't it? And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next weekend, given all the fallout over the previous couple of days about VAR. Are we going to start to see referees just ignore VAR and then that creates another issue in itself? You know, do they need to sit down and get around the table? And, and it's it's a strange one, isn't it? I, I don't really know what the solution is. Is it just better training, you think? I mean, you would want to hope that, you know, the biggest league in the world has referees that can referee games, but it doesn't look like that's the case. I think they need it, as I've said before, they need to strip it back. I think referees need to stick with their guns more, as I've said. I think um, unless it's an absolute clangor from the referee, I think they should be saying, no, look, you know, I saw what I saw. I was in a good position and, and I haven't given it, but... I think something will change after this weekend. As you say, it's interesting to see what will happen in the next sort of week um, to see whether we notice any big changes. But I think this has been a wake-up call for the um, for the for the officials and for the league. Right. Well, shall we talk about the actual game? Because yeah, Newcastle um, they played played right. They should have won. They should have won that game. You know, Isaac Isaac should have scored. Try to be a little bit too clever, in, in my opinion. I know it's easy for us to sit here and say that as you know the professional footballers we clearly are not. But he did 
in my opinion. His the penultimate touch was a very big touch, and I just wonder if he saw what was maybe going to come five seconds later when he put it in the back of the net. The celebrations, the first goal at St James's Park, the first goal was at the Gallagher. You know, I wonder if that maybe just got into his head slightly because he took a big, big touch and then he tried to dink it. Shades of Jacob Murphy, you know, just put it to the side and uh, you'll have your first goal at St James's Park. Uh, what did you make of, of that chance? What did you make of his performance overall? I mean, that chance was was a big one. In the words of Ando, just just put it in the net, man. Just shades of Murphy last year at Watford. But when that when that chance happened and we all sort of took a breath in the press box, I sort of thought to myself, I think that could be, you know, a confidence blow. I think, you know, I was watching Isaac then a minute or two after and he was sort of walking around and how was trying to G him up. And I think for the rest of the game, he did all right. He got himself in good positions. I think it's obvious that they're still trying to work out what, you know, is the best way to play with him. How he even admitted in his presser after that, that, you know, he's only had a couple of training sessions. And I think over time, you know, they'll work out how they're going to use Isaac. Are they going to try and spray balls into him? Are they going to try and have him off the off the shoulder with his pace? I've seen people comparing it, you know, John Dahl Thomason and that sliding doors moment, but I, I think that's unfair because we saw how well he played against Liverpool. Um, it's not as if that was his first game and, and you know, that was his, his big chance, but he had to score that and I, and I really thought it was going to affect his confidence for the rest of the yeah. game after that miss. Well, I can. I just keep thinking about the Miggy moment against Huddersfield yeah. and, you know, what's gone on since, but, you know, he has already scored his first goal, a crack against yeah. Liverpool and strikers miss. As Supermac says uh, quite often, you know, is when he was playing, you shoot, and if you miss, you miss. But you, you know, you will score goals because that's that's the that's the the joy of being a striker. You're going to miss some, you're going to score some. I felt, yeah, at times he was dropping deep, Isaac, and at times he was coming off the left. And and, and we know there's a bit of a discussion about whether he is maybe better coming off the left and what that holds for either Almiron, Fraser, Saint Maxman. When he's fit, um, because the, we saw against Liverpool as well, he was he was getting the ball kind of out to the left and running in, and the defence couldn't really handle him. We saw that against Palace on, on a few occasions as well. Do you think he's naturally a centre forward in terms of playing like Callum Wilson kind of does, like you know Harry Kane kind of does when he's not dropping deep, or do you think when everyone's fit, we may see him? form part of a, a three-man kind of attack with him on one of the flanks, Callum Wilson in the centre and probably you would see Alan St. Maxman on the other side I think it's a possibility, I think it's a good option for how to have, as you say look, I'm, I'm not sure whether he's an out and out forward or whether he's better off on the wing, I think it's too early to judge, as I say I thought his movement in the round the box in the second half was decent against Palace um, you know, he had a good chance deflected over towards the end, so Lots of people say they think he can play alongside Wilson as a, in a number two. Um, whether how will sort of change that formation, we're not too sure. But I think it's a good option to have. And I think, you know, you know we've seen St. Maximum's injury records, you know, Fraser's injury records as well. It might be a case that he's used out on the left. I've seen a lot of people abroad, you know, saying that he's like a young Henri who obviously started off on the left. But for me, I, I didn't think he did too bad Saturday. Obviously, it was it was a world away from his Liverpool performance, but I don't think it's a case of that we're looking at him playing up top on his own, like we look at Wood and think it's not a style that's suiting him. I think from what we've seen in the first, you know what, hundred and twenty minutes of him, I think I think he's done all right so far on his own up, up front. Yeah, I've been impressed. I think he looks like a very good signing. You know, he looks like he can handle himself in the Premier League. He, he's making them runs, which Callum Wilson does as well. Something Chris Wood just doesn't seem able to do. And he wants the ball. He wants to get involved as well. Uh, and I, yeah, I've been impressed. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does once he gets a couple of, you know, gets a run of games under his belt and gets a few more goals and that confidence starts to build. But yeah, like you see, I don't think he, he performed badly against Palace. I, just, I don't think he... Yeah, blew anybody away with his performance, but I think it was maybe just one of those days um, where it just it just didn't happen for him, unfortunately. And, and I, I don't think the miss, you know, the, the, it was a good save from Gaeta. I don't think that's going to affect him. He's already got one in the bag, and I, I think he'll, he'll we'll easily see him probably hit double figures. I think this season, um, 
It's just one of those one of those days. Going all the way back to, uh, we'll start with Nick Pope, as always. He, I mean, he didn't have much to do against Palace, but what he did do, he did very well. There was a fantastic save in the second half, which um, he, he managed to get a leg to and put it out for a corner. He just, and I know we've said it so many times on this show, but he just looks like such a good buy, such a bargain for Newcastle United. And once again, if Gareth Southgate isn't seriously considering him to be number one coming into the World Cup, then I'm, I'm not really sure what he's doing. I think he's becoming the new Bruno on the show. I would just sort of run out of run out of positive throne. But um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Again, as you say, when he was when he was needed on Saturday, he was fantastic. That save in the second half from Edward with his leg, I thought that was a definite goal. Great stop with his knee. Um, you know, a couple of other chances from AU and, and Zaha. Looks like an absolute snip at 10 million. Got to be banging on that door, to, you know, at the start of the World Cup. Um, probably depends on how well Pickford plays, I think, from now till November, because if Pope can keep this up, then, you know, he should be an absolute shoo-in. But not much else to say about him other than, you know, he was absolutely fantastic again. And, and once again, that decision to to drop to Bravka, which was a big call, you know, it, it hasn't backfired at all. And it's been a really shrewd move for Eddie Howe. His distribution is unbelievable. There was a couple of throws that went way down the pitch. One for Ryan Fraser, and I think another one maybe for Isa. And his distribution is absolutely superb. Like to be able to to throw that far is one thing, but to get the direction and get it to your target, man, is is fantastic. He he just looks confident every time he goes up for the ball. You think he's getting there. He he's he's. He's 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 punching clearances away, always collecting there. Um, I've just been so so impressed. And again, you know, for all Newcastle should have won the game. You could arguably say they got a point because of the the, the couple of saves that Nick Pope had to make. Yeah, there, there was a twenty minute spell in the second half where Newcastle just sort of switched off a bit, and Palace started to dominate a bit. Um, and he had to really be on his game. But as you say, composed in the air, great coming for crosses, great coming for corners. A couple of times in the first half, you could see they were trying to catch Palace on the counter with Pope just spraying those balls out wide. So I don't think you can really mark him down at all from what he's done from the minute he's came in. Fantastic at Brighton, really good at Wolves. Yes, he conceded three at City, but he made some big saves. He's He's... We're going to talk about later the amount of draws they've had, but a lot of those draws would be defeats if it wasn't for Nick Pope. So I'm actually agreeing with Paul here in the comments. I wasn't too sure whether he was an upgrade on Dubravka, but I, I certainly am now. Yeah, James, Jamie Harrison as well saying, yeah, Pope could have been a baseball player with an arm like that. And Paul, adding he can't remember a keeper who's thrown like that since Peter Schmeichel, which is quite the, uh, the accolade. But you know what? He has been absolutely superb. And I was so impressed with his distribution against against Palace. Going ahead into that back line, we saw Botman partner share. What I think what we saw from, from Botman was he's good on the ball and he knows where the goal is as well. Like he didn't score, but he had a couple of chances. It was that uh, chest down and hit on the, the volley uh, in, the, in, the, in the first half, which uh, Gaeta had to make a really good save. I mean, before we, we get into that, I mean, let, let's just have a brief word on Gaeta. I know he went down like he'd been um, punched, or I can't even be bothered to think of a better metaphor than that. But he went down for that Willick uh, goal that was not. But uh, that aside, it was a top top performance from him and Crystal Palace. Um, you know, they might be writing a thank you card to the the video assistant referee, but they'll certainly be writing a video, uh, certainly be writing a card to the to the keeper as well for his performance. Yeah, really good performance. I thought Palace's defensive performance wasn't too good. Newcastle were you know carving them open in that first half, but. As you say, it was just one of those games where you thought, you know, they were never, ever, ever going to score. And yeah, some fantastic stops. I mean, that bullet header from Longstaff when they were before that melee in the box, great save. That Botman effort, great save. Isaac, he did well, to, you know, to make himself big and he wasn't fooled by Isaac trying to dink him. So yeah, great performance. Obviously, as we say, he milked it for the uh, for the Willick disallowed goal. But look, it's uh, it was a, it was a top performance at both ends from the goalkeepers. And back to Botman, like I say, that chance he had uh, when he brought it down and, and hit it towards goal, superb. Some really good passes as well. We know defensively he's he's been he's been he's been impressive. 
but I was really impressed with what he can do going forward. Yeah, re- really, really good going forward. I thought, you know, he could have had two or three, had that chance. As you mentioned, he had the chance where Joe Linton tried to bundle it in and it was deflected over. He had a real, and obviously also, can we give a shout out to his assist that would have been for the own goal? The way he's managed to power that header back across goal from that angle was absolutely fantastic. So really, really good on the ball. Looks like he's settled in fantastically so far against, you know, some good forward opposition in the first opening games. I just, you know what it is? I feel sorry for Dan Byrne. He has not put a foot wrong all season. And you just think, how on earth does he get back in that team when Shaw and Botman are fit? Because they look, they look very, very solid again on Saturday, the two of them. They did. And Cher, I thought, played really, really well. Uh, listeners to this podcast know I've not always been Cher's biggest fan, but under Eddie Howe, he's, he's, he's really developed into a solid Premier League player. You know, he made four clearances against Palace, three block shots, uh, three interceptions, uh, two, two tackles. And again, though, he was, he was good on the ball as well. Uh, he made... Uh, he, uh, 38 passes out of 51 attempted. That's 75% success rate. Five successful long balls out of an attempted 12. Um, he, again, he just performed really, really well. And like you say, it's really interesting because Dan Byrne hasn't put a foot wrong. And I think in many ways, it shows you what a good character Dan Byrne is because he could feel pretty aggrieved to be out of that side. He's, he's done well at left back, but I think he probably always knew target being fit, he would then have to you know, focus on trying to get into to one of the centre-back positions and to be dropped after starting the season quite well, I think it shows a good test of his character that he's just going to get his head down. He comes off the bench and, you know, he, he does what he needed to do. And, he'll you know, he'll be he'll be wanting to play, but he'll be understanding that this is a squad game, that you do have a £35 million player ahead of you, that you do have share in really good form. They do seem to have a good partnership. So it's, it, I think it's just a good lesson to, to the youngsters around as well in that team that you can just get your head down and, and keep working and try and win your place back. Yeah, 100%. And look, it's, it must be amazing for Eddie Howe to know that if Shaw picks up a knock in training this week, maybe not Shaw because obviously they're both at foot, but if Botman picks up a knock this week, Byrne can slot right back in, you know, without missing a beat. I think it's not just Byrne like that, though. I think the full team now, if any of them are dropped, I don't think the heads go down. I think... Eddie Howe's put such an emphasis on having the right type of squad, the right players, you know, no sort of attitudes in the squad. I think the entire squad now know that if throughout the team, that's fine. We'll support each other. We'll get, you know, we'll get behind each other and it's all for the team. We obviously didn't do a match um, review last week after Liverpool, but if we did, Jamal LaSalle, I thought against Liverpool was fantastic. I think he can slot him in one. I know that, you know, some fans aren't, aren't a fan of him, but I think on his day, he's still up there. Um, obviously, you know, whether he shows that type of form every game is up for debate, but just a fantastic squad that they've got now. I thought I thought Cher on Saturday was brilliant. Didn't miss a single header as far as I saw. Just fantastic in the air. Just refreshing for once for Newcastle United to have not just a back four and a back five that are settled, but really, you know, six or seven defensive players that can slot in and do a job. So, Perfect recruitment from from the team in the last 10 months. Um, and long may it continue. Sean Longstaff, I was in preparation for this episode. I wasn't too impressed by him, so I was going to come on and, and, and kind of point that out. But actually, I haven't done the research and looked at the stats. He, he looked, the stats suggest he's had, had a pretty decent game. We know the difference in class between him and Bruno. You know, Bruno is, is a level above. I guess... For me, one of the main criticisms for Longstaff would be there was times that I think he didn't look too confident on the ball. There's a couple of instances in and around the box where if you're Bruno, he's picking a pass or he's taking a pop at goal. I think confidence is a big thing. Like You've got to be confident in your ability. And it's clear Bruno is a is, is very confident and, and, and largely with reason. But, you know, so should Longstaff. He's, you know, he's living the dream of nearly every lad on Tyneside pulling on that black and white shirt. You know, he doesn't have to look too far from home to see, you know, when a dream can turn into a nightmare in terms of what's happened with his brother Matty. So he, he should be confident and he should be, you know, taking these these chances because there were 
a few instances where I think you just put your foot through it. Put your foot through it or just react a little bit quicker. There was there was a moment when he wanted too long on the ball and he got bundled over. And it's, it's those little moments where it reminds you, I think, of the level where Longstaff is, which is still a decent level, but then the level of, of Bruno and also the level where Newcastle are going to go in, in future transfer markets, uh, transfer windows. You know, they're going to go for those Bruno-level players, which in time will leave Longstaff behind. Yeah, look, we've talked about Longstaff for a while and saying that, you know, he really needs to raise his game. And it he's a bit of a frustrating character because at the end of last season, the Arsenal game, the Burnley game, the last five, six games of the season, he was really, really impressive, showing his best form. Just seems to be too hit and miss. I thought he was good against Liverpool. You know, that ball through Isaac was brilliant. Um, I thought he had an OK game Saturday. Didn't really set the world alight. Made some good passes, but... And as you say, the stats, you know, he's the most accurate passer for Newcastle, but he gives the ball away a lot too. And and as you say, sometimes he needs more time and sometimes he just can't split that defence like Shelby or Bruno could. So, look, he's good for the time being. We know that as the level grows, he probably sort of does fade away. But I thought he was OK Saturday, but just that same old complaint I got with him that he just can't seem to do it on a regular basis. Mm. There was a moment when he, it should have been a nice one too with 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 Isaac. Uh, Isaac played a lovely ball into the box and, and Longstaff just didn't quite read it. And again, I think that just shows you the difference in level. I mean, it's easy to say Bruno would have been on the receiving end of that. But I, a part of me actually genuinely feels he would have been. And I think that's the difference you get when you've got two world-class players or two good players in terms of Isaac and Bruno linking up. You will get that kind of monthly of wavelength where I don't think Longstaff's Right there. That being said, I'm happy to see him get a new contract and I'm happy to see him getting a bit of game time. I'm just urging him to seize the opportunity and don't let it be that when Gamaresh comes back in a couple of weeks' time, he walks straight back into that side. At this moment, he does because I don't <laughs> think Longstaff's done enough. Whereas what you want is that situation when Gamaresh first signed where he couldn't get in the side for six weeks because the, the midfield three were performing that well so you, you I'm urging you know I'm hoping Joe Willick and Longstaff step to the plate I think Joe Linton okay didn't have his best game yesterday but I, I think he was the better of the three uh, he was all across the pitch uh, getting his foot stuck in he's a bit careless in possession at times but again I think he's he, he like I say he was probably the best of the three and um, you just have to hope that Gumeresh finds it a little bit difficult to get back into that side but that's down to, to Willick and um, Longstaff. Looking on the wings, Aaron, we had Ryan Fraser, who I thought did quite well, actually. I thought he was, he looked threatening. He won a few, you know, good fouls, uh, a few good balls into the box. Just missing me with that end, end product, maybe. Uh, what did you make of his performance? thought he was good in the first half. You know, Newcastle were really peppering that goal at the Gallagher in the first 45, and Fraser was as you say, quite instrumental in those chances, but just seems to be lacking that killer instinct. I know we're going to move on to Miggy next, but the two of them just are fantastic players. We say it every week, the graph, they're honest. The one thing I will say about Fraser is um, he was really, I thought he was really, really good against Liverpool. I thought he's one of the better performers. He was really making it hard for that defence. Um, and I think when you look at him and Murphy, who are really, really fighting to try and you know save their future in this team, I think he's brought a lot more than Murphy has. I don't think Murphy's done an awful lot in these cameos that he's been getting to really stake a claim to, you know, to be challenging Miggy. Whereas Fraser, I thought, has at least put a, you know, a good shift in. Um, yeah, good on Saturday, good in the first half. Thought he was a bit quiet after the halftime break, but um, before he was replaced. But he just needs to add that sort of killer instinct that we saw at Bournemouth earlier. And you don't know how much injuries have taken a toll on that, but. Look, for the time being, for for a squad player, I think I think he's brilliant. But as we said with Bruno and Longstaff, I don't think there's any you know danger of him keeping Maxi out the team when he's uh, back fit and firing. You mentioned there Murphy. Now he he came on, and again I thought he was so disappointing. Like just giving the ball away, wanting a bit too much time, and. I, I really, as we said in a previous episode not too long ago, I really wanted to work out for him, but it just seems every chance he's getting recently, 
in my view, and I'm, you know, people listening to this episode will know I'm a big, big fan of Murphy. I've been one of his biggest backers for a long time, but I'm, I'm starting to regress slightly because I just I, recently it's you just can't seem to hold on to the ball. He's not doing anything. It's, he's not taking his chance. Whereas you look at someone like Elliot Anderson comes off the bench there against Palace. He was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. You know, John Gibson's written a column saying he needs to he needs to start in the next game. Uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too against that. I I thought he he had drive. He looked like you know he could really hurt Palace. He I mean he did hurt Palace in in, in many ways. Whereas Murphy on the other side, it was just a bit. Well, you know, here we go again. I think Murphy. If I'm brutally honest, I think his time's up. I'm like you. I wanted it to work out. It was the you know, the boyhood dream for him to come and, and light the Premier League up, but just hasn't happened. And I think, as I've just touched on before, he's he hasn't got long left to prove his worth. We've been saying this for six months. You know, he needs to step it up. Comes off the bench and I just don't think he offers anything. He doesn't assist, doesn't get a goal. He's not a goal threat. Doesn't have that killer instinct. I mean, mind you, it doesn't look like Miggy and Fraser do as well, but I think out of the three of them, he just he's just not bringing it. And I think... I think he's on borrowed time at the club, if I'm honest. I think he'll be, you know, on the cusp of one of those that are, you know, potentially on the way in January or next summer, which is a shame. But as, as you say, he just doesn't offer enough for Newcastle, especially for where they want to be going. Elliot Anderson, on the other hand, I mean, I'm, I'm glad the club have kept him um, on loan. I thought maybe Saturday was the game to start him. Um, you know, they've had a lot of games in quick succession. Trips away to Wolves, Liverpool, you know, they looked absolutely out on their feet against Liverpool the other night, um, you know, when they were time-wasting. But brilliant when he came on, really, really dangerous, wants the ball all the time. He sort of reminds me, and I might get pelters for this, but he reminds me a bit of Phil Foden in the fact that he always wants the ball. He never, ever shies away from it. And when he gets with it, he's so good at just dancing around, making things happen. Thought he was really, really dangerous on Saturday. And I think Eddie Howe touched on his in his presser after. He's been used in the centre quite a lot. They've been using him, you know, instead of Willick as a 10. But I think really, you know, he, he performed really, really well out on the left. And I think when Maxi's not in that role, rather than sticking Murphy on down the wing, just stick Anderson down the left. And jobs are good and really. I think that, you know, they've maybe found something there that you know, the found he can play in that position as well. So really, really good cameo from him on Saturday. And I, I agree with Gibbo's column that I think, you know, it's only a matter of time before he's starting games. Yeah, he was really, really good. I like the fact that you say he always wants the ball. You can see him always pointing and gesturing and, you know, sometimes throwing his hands in the air when he doesn't get it. But that's what you want to see, you know. For too long, Newcastle have not had the players who want the ball at their feet and have a have a desire to go forward. I mean, that was more under the, the Ashley time but we've got now this youngster who really looks like he's something special. You know, he won a, a good couple of fouls. He was, there was a brilliant moment where he kind of got in between two and and, and and pulled it back. He was getting in the positions as well. I think, you know, like you say, like Gibb was written, it won't be too long before he starts and I'll be down to him to take that opportunity. On to Almiron. Now we should have scored. There's no getting away from that. And, you know, we could have, we keep saying this, end product is missing. But I felt that aside, he had a decent game and I felt when he went off for until Anderson kind of got into the game, they, they were lacking someone making them runs. It was very static. The ball was going sideways. There was no one running in between the defenders. There was no one pushing Palace. And a lot of people, when I, I put that out on Twitter, I said, oh, well, we were threatening from set pieces. Almiron had nothing to do with that. And that's that's fine. You know, if he was on the pitch, he would have nothing to do with that. You know, that, that's not Almiron's, Almiron's game. But what is his game is, is just making them runs, which kind of try and split the defence. And I did feel Newcastle suffered for a little bit after he went off. Yeah, I thought I thought Miggy was played well. As we say every week, we, you know, we're coming back to the same old problem with him that he just doesn't have that killer instinct, as, as Paul Gould said in the comments. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, it annoys me how much he just does not have a right foot. So many times you're thinking, if he's getting himself into perfect positions, his movement's fantastic. He's really, really aware of where he needs to be. 
But he's getting it in these positions where a right-footed right midfielder would be swinging that ball across first time across the box. But Miggy has taken a touch, moved it on to his left, just kills the rhythm, kills the game. That's my only real criticism on Saturday. I thought there was times where, he, you know, he, he needs to be hitting it first time, needs to do better. But a lot of what was happening in that first half was down to him, winning the ball back in his own half, driving forward. You know, his energy is fantastic. I just, we would have a real, real, real player on our hands if he could finish or if he could assist. We would be talking about like a maxi level player, if not better, really, because he's that good. But I think he's improved. I think, you know, we went into the season saying he needs to prove himself. And and if I'm honest, I think he has been improved, as, as someone's just mentioned in the comments there. But you're just always wanting that little bit more from him, which I, I don't think he's got, and I'm not sure he'll ever have at this age. So good on Saturday, I thought. It was it was a shame to see him taken off when he was. He was clearly, you know, quite upset about it, but he just coming back to the you know the same old sticking points that we talk about every week, unfortunately. He wasn't happy, was he, when he went off? And I don't mind that. I think that's quite, you kind of want that. You want players to want to play every single minute of every single game. What annoyed us slightly was the fact that he walked off the pitch and at the end, Eddie Howe had to gesture him just to move a little bit quicker. And, you know, more, there's ways to handle your, uh, you know, if you're upset about getting taken off, you know, kick a bottle in the dressing room, what have you. But when you castle or trying to play fast and quick and trying to, to win this game, walking off with a, with a, a disgruntled look on your face, you know, isn't isn't great. I mean, run off with a disgruntled look on your face. That's fine, but don't take a precious time when your castle are desperately trying to get the get a goal and get the win. Um, I was, I, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed at his exit, but I can, I totally applaud the fact that he's he's kind of upset. I just felt he should have just move a little bit, Miggy. And um, but we'll see. Do you think he'll start the next game against West Ham? Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't think he'll be dropped. I think his level of performances, I think. He's shown he's good enough to start on that right midfield and a good. And I think Eddie Howe said on Saturday he's going to give the players a rest. I think, you know, they've got until Sunday. I think he'll start. And also, I just want to say I loved his reaction. I agree he should have run off, but he needs to be more ruthless on the pitch. And it was good to see that actually he was coming off thinking, you know, I should be staying on here. So we need more of that from Miggy, I think, both on and off the pitch. Definitely. I thought he was, I thought he was the danger man. In my opinion, and like I said, Newcastle suffered with with his exit. Um, before we talk about the final point, which is a concern of some that Newcastle are starting to get into the rhythm of draws, just a reminder to please like and subscribe to the podcast, whether that be on your podcast channel through Spotify, Apple, whatever you're listening through. Hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating review, share the pod amongst your tunes, supporting friends and family. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button as well. And also, if you're watching live, click this link that I've just put in there, the footballcontentawards.com. And uh, we urge you guys to vote for us in the best podcast category. So if you open that link and you scroll down to the setting box on uh, your left there, I'll say best podcast. And under Premier League, put in there everything as black and white podcast. You can fill in the rest of the boxes if you've got some other favorite content create as is youtube and what have you and best influencer um, i don't think me now and i'll be in the running for any of that but we would like to be in the running for the best podcast so pop in there things back my podcast and then uh, scroll down the bottom and click vote we would appreciate that um on to the final point then of this podcast aaron newcastle do they risk turning into draw specialists six games played this season one win Four draws, one defeat, seven points on the board, sitting eleven currently. Someone said this to me at the game on on Saturday, and it was a case of, well, actually, I think if you take if you compared this time to last season, you take seven points, wouldn't you? Um, and you know, you come say so you've played Liverpool, you've played Manchester City, you'd expect two defeats straight off the bat. There, you've you've got one point out of a possible. For you should have had at least um, another point out of that um, uh, out of that uh, uh, them two games. But is it a concern that they've drawn against Wolves and Palace as well? 
I think there's two ways to look at it. I think the fact they've got to draw off City, great result. The fact they've got to draw Brighton when they were under the cost so much, great result. Then you look on the flip side of it, they should have beat Palace on Saturday. You know, I think with Callum Wilson fit and maybe Maxi fit, that would, would have been game over. They would have won that game. And also you could have said that the you know they should have beat Wolves as well. They were probably the more dominant team. So I think you know there's two sides to it. I think if it's the next couple of games will be crucial because you know they've got teams that they can beat. You know, they should be well, they'd like to hope that they can beat West Ham on Sunday. And obviously, you know, they don't really have too many hard games coming up. Enjoyed what Eddie Howe said after about it. He was asked, you know, that question as to whether, you know, he's happy with the start of the season. Obviously, there's four draws, but they've only really lost once. And he said he wasn't happy. He wants more points, um, which, again, I thought was quite confident from how he clearly had that rush of adrenaline after not sitting on the fence for that referee comment. But, yeah, look, he wants to win. I think, you know, fans, I don't think it's something to get too concerned about at the minute. I think it's been a good start of the season, some good performances. Um, you know, the proof will probably be in the pudding in the next, you know, four or five games. But they do need to start getting wins on the board, I think, rather soon. Yeah, well, the next game against West Ham will be interesting. And you've got Bournemouth at home, the not-too-distant future as well, which will be a very intriguing game. It's been, I think, a, like you say, a decent start to the to the season and only to have one defeat on the board uh, you, you would have taken that and, and especially considering the performance that defeat came from as well and I also think you look at the Brighton game which they didn't deserve to draw but they got a point I think it's it's it, it's the manner in which they gain in these draws which is important of course you'd much prefer them to be wins but at the same time to claw a point from that Brighton game you take that, you know, that showed resilience and it, you know, good performance from Pope and yes, a bit of luck. But then I think, I think what we've seen overall in the first six games is just good character running through, you know, players following in the instructions. You get to see this identity that he wants to play with. Everyone is committed to the cause. And it's just, I think it's building, it's putting in the right blocks of the foundation and it, you know, it's going to take a bit of time to get that momentum rolling. But I, I don't think anyone can have too many complaints at the, at the way this the first six games have gone. No, definitely. And I think as you look at the opening six games, there's only been one game so far that you actually you've came off you've came away from it and said Newcastle played poorly there. And that was Brighton who, when you look at what they're doing with other teams around them, I mean you saw what they did at Leicester yesterday. You know, they've been absolutely fantastic. So one defeat and it was a defeat that they shouldn't have really lost against Liverpool on another day. So I don't think there can be any grumbling. I don't think fans are too concerned with the, you know, the one win in six. Um, I think it's been a good start of the season. I think how, although he wasn't saying that on Saturday, I think he'll be, you know, quietly pleased with the way that the, the team is performing, even though they're not winning. Jonathan Casey there says, apart from Saturday, all of the draws so far this season have been good results. And I think many people listening and watching will agree with that that is the end of the everything is black and white podcast for today's episode i've been andrew musgrove joined as always by aaron stokes thank you to you guys listening and watching please remember to hit that button for our platform you are joining us through and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep with it with all the latest newcastle united news